It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, there's Frank's remote control. You can look, but don't touch it, please. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. Hello, everyone. Hello, Joe. How are y'all doing today? Oh, not too bad. How about you? I'm doing just fine. Yeah. I got a question for both of you. Do you? Did uh-huh. you make any New Year's resolutions? Oh... See, that joke's only funny if you already know what the topic is. And then it's not even funny. <laughs> but That's a good point. We're talking yeah. about we're talking about uh, resolution, television resolution mm-hmm. in this episode. I recently attended CES, and uh, one of the big things that's always a huge presence at CES is, uh, is high definition and beyond TVs. Jonathan, I have a question for you. Ask me your question, Joe. Okay, while you were at CES, yeah. what was the greatest number of TVs you were ever watching at the same time <laughs> simultaneously? That, oh, probably somewhere in the realm of 40? Because there are entire walls that are just made up of various televisions and mm-hmm. displays. So sometimes they all work together to form one image, but you're still watching you mm-hmm. know, 40 different TVs. Is yeah. it is it like at Best Buy where they're all showing the same Mark Wahlberg movie at the same time, or do they have different <laughs> stuff playing on They them? had different Mark Wahlberg movies oh. playing simultaneously. Oh, no. Yeah. No, actually, the... Um, it depended on the the place you were at and what the TVs were trying to show. Like anything that's doing ultra high definition and beyond, or I guess you could just say UHD because technically 8K is still in that category, uh, tends to have a loop of various, you know, supposed to be awe-inducing images, things that have lots of different color and contrast, something where the detail is really important in the image. There's usually no... Um, no content that has like dialogue or anything it's all about images so uh you know usually it's it's also video because you don't want to have just a still photo up there mm-hmm. but it'll be like a 
uh, Chinese dragon at a parade. That's that's a typical one. Uh, like something flyovers like flyovers of mountains or something. right sunrises or uh, ocean. You know something like like fish beneath the sea that kind of thing. So it's all about you know lots of different colors and vibrant and uh, 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 images and lots of motion to really show off what the televisions are capable of. And I wanted to kind of talk a little bit in this episode about what resolution is because, you know, now we're in that era of 4K becoming the standard. Like it's, it, I would say that this year is the first time we're really seeing 4K move beyond the early adopter stage and try to push into mainstream, which means mm-hmm. that a lot of people probably have questions about it. And they're wondering what exactly sets it apart? How is it different from earlier versions? And, and you know, just kind of an overview. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you, you see all of this kind of marketing or advertising material all the time about how totally awesome this new television is and how much you need it in your house right now. Yeah. Um, And I have, well, I mean, it's, I I do because I've researched this kind of stuff for tech stuff in this episode before. Um, But I I don't think that the average consumer really has a good grip on what any of that means. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and furthermore, like, yeah, like, like where is all of this technology moving towards in the future? Like, are, are we going to get to, 16k right is it going to be 32k yeah that well will we just have television screens literally in our eyeballs i mean that's these are all great questions and we're going to be looking at them uh figuratively uh because this is an audio podcast but yeah no this is this is exactly why i wanted to have this conversation okay so the numbers that are represented when you hear people bragging about their different screen resolutions sure. you know we got 1080p or we've got 4k what do those numbers mean? What do they represent? All right. Those numbers represent uh, a, a basic unit called a pixel. And you can kind of think of pixel as like a point of light on your television. And that point of light can be various colors. It doesn't have to be, you know, just pure white or whatever. But uh, your your television screen, the image on the screen is made up of a collection of pixels, all of various colors, uh, changing at a speed that's faster than we can detect with the naked eye. And that's what gives us the illusion of, hey, there's Matthew McConaughey uh, (laughs) being awesome on my TV. Yeah, yeah. Um, Each pixel has the capacity to be, I mean, basically red, green or blue. Yeah. Yeah, it's really what Uh, we're looking at. Any combination of those, really. And it's also, yeah, the intensity of the light behind it can help uh, indicate what color it's supposed to be. And it's the fact that we have so many that we can actually represent colors other than red, green, and blue. This is using the additive property of color to get various colors. So if you had red, green, and blue light and you shine them all on a central spot, the very center of that's going to look white. Mm -hmm. It's that additive property. Uh, Where red and blue overlap, that's where you're going to get the purples. And it's it's interesting because if you think back to, um, you know, the primary colors, you'd say, well, wait a minute now. I remember there was like red, yellow, and blue. I don't remember green being in there, and it's all wait, because wait we're about talking. what about cyan and magenta? Well, yeah, the, and that's the thing is that we're talking about t- different approaches, like light based versus ink based, uh, additive versus subtractive. You know, there there are a lot of different ways of looking at color, and it just turns out that with televisions, we're talking about the RGB. I mean, you probably have seen RGB connectors for various types of televisions and displays, so. Now we've established we've got all these pixels. The, each pixel is a, divided into sub-pixels. Typically, that's red, green, and blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are what will determine the color of the image that you see. But what makes the difference between, let's say I break out my old NES. Yeah. And I, lo- and I go to play Super Mario World. Okay. Or Super Mario Brothers. Which was the first one? Super Mario Brothers. Brothers, yeah. you're right. Yeah. yeah. So there we've got a Mario that... If you look close, it's pretty clearly composed of some squares. Yeah. There are individually colored squares, and if you zoom in, weigh in on him, he's kind of spiky. Right. Like he's got some hard corners. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to the next generation and play Super Mario Brothers uh, or Super Mario World, I guess then on sure. Super NES, suddenly Mario's much smoother. Mm-hmm. And then if you go to the next generation, smoother still. Right. What's this, going on? This is because those pixels. Now, in this case, we're talking about the uh, the capacity of the device to output pixel count. Yeah. Not not your television, but the NES and SNES in the, these cases. Yeah, same kind of effect. Right, exactly. Uh, it's 
you know, the size of the pixels matter because the larger the pixels, the more you're going to be able to detect the individual pixels. And you'll see those hard edges because pixel is essentially a little square. And if those squares are large enough, you're going to be able to detect detect the uh, corners like you were talking about. The, the example I always give is that imagine that you are given a bunch of wooden blocks of different colors and you're told to create a picture using those wooden blocks, like show a representation of a car. You've got some blue wooden blocks and some black wooden blocks, and the black ones are going to be the tires and the blue ones are going to be the car. But you only have 20 blocks total, uh, or you, the image can only be 20 blocks large. It's going to be a really blocky car, like straight out of the mid 80s. Uh, but if you wanted to have something that had a lot more kind of uh, smooth contours, what you would want to do is have the size of those blocks and double their number. And now you can make that same picture, but you're using twice as many blocks that are half the size. It's going to look a little better. You do that again, it's going to look a little better. You do this enough, and the human eye will no longer be able to differentiate the edges of those tiny blocks because they're so small, it looks like a continuous image to us. Mm -hmm. That's the basis for television resolution. You want to have as tiny uh, a pixel as you possibly can and a high concentration of them in order for the image on the screen to be a high resolution. Um, so technically we could say that a television's resolution is the number of pixels that are displayed on a screen. And this raises another interesting point, which is that you can have two different TVs of two different sizes at the same resolution. They're going to have the same number of pixels. But that means that the pixels on the bigger TV have to be larger because mm -hmm. they have more space to fill up. So if you have a 40-inch high-definition television, a 1080p TV, then you have 1,080 lines of pixels going across in one direction. And I'll talk more about the directions in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But let's say that you've got a 1080p 80-inch television. Well, your 80-inch TV is twice the size, I mean, at least on the diagonal, of the 40-inch. It actually gets a little more complicated than that. But it has the same number of pixels as that 40-inch TV. So it's possible that something that looks amazing on a relatively smaller TV doesn't look as amazing on a larger TV if they're both at the same resolution. You have to increase the resolution of the larger televisions to make it that make the quality make remain the same. Good, right, right. Yeah. Or you have to back up further away from the larger pixeled television. Yeah, this <laughs> this raises another interesting point. We're going to be nailing this sucker home as we go through this. The the quality of the image on a television is relative to many factors, the resolution of the television, the size of the television and your viewing distance, because the human eye, you know, our our, our ability to pick out detail decreases as distance increases. Mm -hmm. And of course, for some of us, we have better vision than others. I used to have pretty crappy vision and then I had laser surgery and now my vision is normal. It's not great. <laughs> it's 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 essentially 2020, which is, you know, considered normal vision. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's definitely a factor. All of those things are factors. So, so even, uh, the technological aspect of this is somewhat, um, mediated by the fact of how far away, like our physical surroundings, how far away we are from that television. If the TV is 80 inches and it's high resolution, like the same as that 40 inch TV, but we're twice as far away from it as we were from our 40 inch televisions, then things kind of look okay. Uh, that's rough numbers. I mean, that's not exactly the case, but it's it's you know, you get the idea. So, yeah, this is this is all stuff we have to take into account. So let's kind of look at what resolution really means. Now, in the old days, we're talking about uh, width and height. I mean, we still are talking about width and height, but the designation has changed a little bit. So the unit of measurement is the pixel. And if you were looking at a 1920 by 1080 screen, that's 1,920 pixels wide, or number of vertical lines of pixels, uh, by 1,080 pixels tall, or number of horizontal lines of pixels. And that's the resolution for a 1080p screen. Uh, so the 1080 is all of those horizontal lines. 
That's important because when we get to 4K, we no longer look at horizontal lines. We look at vertical lines because, of course, we need to make this more confusing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's my favorite thing about technology. Yeah, it's like when we decide the standard needs to be flip-flopped and we need to talk (laughs) about this other number because if we talked about the first number, it wouldn't be as uh, fascinating and exciting because it wouldn't be as big. Anyway, uh, the reason for the difference, obviously, is that our televisions are wider than they are tall. Yeah. So this has been the case for ages, although, of course, the aspect ratio has changed. We'll talk about that in a second. So let's start with standard resolution. There's still channels that broadcast in standard resolution. There are televisions that are displaying it in standard resolution. You might have a standard resolution TV in your home. Um, In the United States, standard resolution television is at 480 interlaced lines of resolution or 480i. And that uses a standard called NTSC. So that's technically 704 pixels by 480 pixels. Uh, now, in Europe, they use the PAL system, P-A-L, and that is 576i. So technically, the European uh, televisions were a slightly higher resolution than the North American ones. Mm. Um, both of these are interlaced. That's different from progressive. I'm not going to go into that. We'll get into that in a second. Yeah, actually. we'll just barely touch on it because yeah. that that's almost an entire episode all on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we move to high definition resolution. Now, do you guys remember when HDTV was first coming out? Uh, yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I remember it because I remember when it first came out, HD televisions were... In they were crazy expensive, like they were they were an order of magnitude more expensive than your average televisions. And of course, this is also still in the era of the big TVs, right? Like not not the flat screens. Uh, mm-hmm. Right, right. They still t- television still had tubes in them. Yeah, cathode, cathode ray tubes. tubes. Yeah. yeah, I still have a television like that. Actually, I have one in storage. <laughs> I don't have one actively being used as a television or display. I watch I, everything on my laptop. So yeah. I had one that I'm pretty sure Rachel made me get rid of when we moved <laughs> in together. Well, my only VHS player is attached to a cathode ray Oh, you're ray killing me here. You were talking so. about forward thinking and <laughs> Lauren's enjoying her entertainment on clay tablets. This is a weird discussion for me because my favorite way of enjoying a piece of visual media is a third generation VHS tape of something from the 80s. Right. Yeah. There are plenty of YouTube videos that are directly taken from that kind of content. <laughs> I know because I watched one just the other day. Uh, computers are human. Are, computers are people, too was the name of the program, 46 oh. minutes. So. Okay, but so but so high def. Yes, this is where we start off with uh, 720. Uh, that was the, the first resolution in high definition we saw, which is uh, 1,280 pixels by 720 pixels. And that's that's a really decent resolution if your television is, you know, 40 inches or smaller. Um, I mean, it's it's not terrible for larger than that, but that's really where, where its sweet spot was. Uh, but then you also had uh, 1920 by 1080, which was the you know 1080p or i, whether it was progressive or interlaced. Um, and yeah, a, a quick side note on what exactly that means. Yeah, um, uh, interlaced is the classic way that a screen updates its image. Okay, it was kind of a clever way for screen makers to get around the the fact that they they had this kind of relatively poor energy efficiency and and poor speed. Uh, like just just technological programmable speed mm-hmm. of these older screens, um, and and so uh, uh, like we were talking about, the screens pixels are coded as horizontal lines, and the the odd numbered lines would refresh first, then the even numbered lines would refresh. Mm-hmm. So the full screen would refresh as as relatively slowly as thirty times a second. Right, which sounds fast when you say that something happens thirty times a second, but really your your vision is absorbing a lot faster than that. Yeah. So. Yeah. So what we're saying here is that uh, each of these is, is refreshing uh, like, you know, twice as fast. But the full the full screen is you're getting at 30 because or maybe half as time as fast. anyway, you're getting the full screen at 30 times a second because it's showing you half of the image. It's just every other line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it, it switches very, very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then progressive scan screens are capable of refreshing the entire image at once, um, which means that the image updates twice as fast as in interlaced screens. Right. And so you get, um, you know, 
better image quality for things that have a lot of fast moving action in them. Uh, yeah, yeah, especially in action scenes, it looks so much smoother. Yeah, so uh, that's why you know back in the HD days when people were shopping for televisions and 1080p became uh, kind of a standard because at first it was one of those things that was a, a premium. Like, you know, you could find mm-hmm. 1080i uh, television sets, but 1080p were more expensive and more rare. Um, now they are pretty much the standard for any HD that's above like 43 inches. Um, now we get to what is being pushed as the new standard, something that's entering into the mainstream. And we, like I said before, we've seen this creep into uh, television series for a while, like very, the various series offered by various uh, manufacturers. Mm-hmm. But now it's like that's the main thing that's being put onto store shelves, and that's 4K. So 4K is a type of ultra-high definition. That's weird because I feel like I saw somewhere online that Ultra high definition is actually different than 4K. Uh, you know, UHD has also has also been used to describe everything from 2K to 8K. Mm-hmm. But uh, part of the issue is also there are conflicting approaches to uh, compressing and streaming UHD content. We'll talk about that toward the end. One of the things that's actually kind of Indicative that this is still the very early days for ultra high definition. Um, but you know, it, the, the industry standard for 4K is 4096 by 2160. However, UHD is actually 3840 by 2160. So it's slightly lower than actual 4K. Now, the reason why it's called 4K is that if you do the math, and you multiply the numbers of a 1080 uh, HD television, and you, you you multiply those together, and then you multiply that by four, you'll have the same number of pixels in a 4K UHD television. So it's four times the number of pixels, even though it's not 4,000 <laughs> lines of pixels. Okay. Uh, All right. I get pixels. it. Yeah. So, okay. so this is where this terminology really gets confusing, right? Because one, it's four times, but it's not 4K in the sense that... You know, instead of 1,080 horizontal lines, now you have 4,000 horizontal lines. And to make it even more confusing, we're not talking horizontal lines anymore. We're talking vertical lines. Huh. We're talking about how wide the TV is, not how tall the TV is. And so instead of taking the second number of that ratio, which is what we had been doing, you know, remember 1920 by 1080, mm-hmm. now we're taking the first number. So the 3,840 instead of the 2,160. Now, do you think that this is a marketing ploy in order to get people excited about that bigger number? I think so, simply because that maybe <laughs> it's one of those deals that, one, it gets people more excited because it's a bigger number. Two, calling something 2160p instead of 4K, it, like, it starts getting really unwieldy as well. Uh, sure, sure. I think they should term it in terms of the number of photons that are being employed <laughs> on each screen. <laughs> I mean so, that would be a big number. I'd buy that. Well, you got to yeah, you got to yeah. multiply the two numbers together. Yeah, you're talking about yeah. Well, that's a big number. Well, then you'd really like 8K. <laughs> 8K has four times the number of pixels as 4K. Not twice, four times the number because the the individual numbers 7680 by 4320 mean that when you multiply them together, you will get four times the number of pixels from a 4K TV or 16 times the number of pixels you would find in a 1080 HD set. I'm I'm not sure that this is how multiplication works. (laughs) I would like to let the television industry know that uh, 8 is not uh, 4 times times 4. Yeah. Yeah. I I just just putting that out there, guys. I I I mean, I know. I mean, I think what I can say is I can see why there's confusion in the consumer marketplace because none of the numbers really make intuitive sense. I think it's all because these are the ways that the industry has agreed to market these sets Mm -hmm. and that I mean, the numbers are meaningful. Oh, sure. But it's just that, you know, it takes some digging to figure out what exactly they do mean. I'm just saying, if if I had had the opportunity, like, I would have totally called the next step up 16K because, again, 16 – anyway. Yeah, okay. 16 is, is nobody, bigger than 8. Nobody asked me. Right. Shockingly enough, I am not the earworm in any <laughs> television industry. I'm guessing that the 8K is supposed to mean the number of uh, vertical lines of pixels. But even then, it's being um, – it's, it's, it's rounding up. 
because it's not 8,000, it's 7,680. But 7.6K, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) or 7.7K if you want to just round up to the 10th. (laughs) All right. So why does all of this matter? I mean, if the numbers are meaningful, what do they mean? Okay, so there are a couple of things we have to take into account. One of them is that they're meaningful in the sense that a higher resolution set can has the potential of showing you many more subtle gradations of uh, focus so that you can actually see a lot more detail in images that your television simply was not capable of showing before. And this could be a big deal if you are a filmmaker. Um, it actually can mean be a big deal for a couple of different reasons. But the big one is that if I want to tell a story and I'm using the visual medium of film or video or whatever, and I, I know that my audience is going to be viewing this on televisions in the future, I want those TVs to have the resolution that is going to be capable of translating the visual elements of my story as accurately as possible, especially if I'm the kind of filmmaker that really relies on on imagery Mm -hmm. to get across emotional impact or an important element of the plot. One of those things where you can maybe because the way the focus of the shot has been uh, composed, you see an element in a that you might not even consciously identify, but it is an important part of the story. And then later you think, oh, yeah, I remember seeing I that thing. I did see that grenade sitting on that shelf right. that they wound up using later. Right. The, that goes back to the rule of if you have a, a rifle mounted yeah. on the wall, then mm-hmm. at some point a character has to fire that rifle. Che- Chekhov's gun, I think Yeah, it's I called. believe that's yeah. right. I think you're right. Um, so, yeah, but this is this is one of those things. <laughs> like, We just can't get the resolution to see guns today. Well, <laughs> well just the point being that if you, if you are taking... Taking the artistry of visual storytelling to as far as far as you can technologically, then you need to know that your audience has the capability of actually seeing that. Yeah, Otherwise, say, why go through the trouble? I, I'd say what it seems to allow for to me is a lot of added subtlety. Yes. Uh, not so much that you're going to be able to see big new plot points. But well, no, no. But well, I mean, or, or an actor's performance. I mean, if you've yeah. gone to the trouble of, of getting a good actor and lighting them well, mm-hmm. then being able to see the, the subtleties in uh, Walter White's face when he's having a complete <laughs> mental breakdown. Yeah. Is beautiful. I mean, yeah. these are these are things that they can even if it's not like important to the plot, it could be important to the emotional impact mm-hmm. of something that oh, a sure. filmmaker's made. Yeah I, I, yeah, I agree. You'll probably be able to see the image better, and th- that's a good thing. Yeah. But on top of that, it also means that we can get bigger TVs <laughs> without <laughs> without a decrease in quality. Uh, because with the, with these, these tinier pixels with higher resolution, with more pixels in the, in the frame, you can go larger without having a, a perceptible decrease in image quality. You know, this just now made me wonder, and I didn't bring this up before the podcast because I just thought of it. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if this could lead to pixels ever replacing projection in movie theaters. So essentially having a giant digital television or display rather than a screen upon which it reflects the light. You'd have one that's actually acting as a a giant TV. I'm not uh, saying I think that should happen. uh, The the technology would have to advance really significantly, like incredibly significantly. Yeah, because we don't have a resolution of television. First of all, uh, I know a lot of filmmakers who are still lamenting the death of film because film itself already has an effective resolution much higher than what our digital representation is capable of showing. Uh, But secondly, yeah, when you're talking about the size of a movie screen, even something like 8K, which is hard to even imagine on the scale of a regular TV, is not going to be sufficient for the size of a movie screen. Um, That being said, you know, we are able to buy bigger and bigger televisions as prices go down. You know, the manufacturing processes get better. The materials get cheaper. uh, The adoption gets larger and we start seeing prices come down. There are people who have pretty big TVs and they're not necessarily increasing the distance, their uh, their viewing distance. If you were increasing your viewing distance, then, you know, those two elements together, the higher resolution and the increased viewing distance would mean that you would think your image quality was fantastic, Mm -hmm. right? But we're sitting closer and closer. Uh, so if you have a huge television, or in your, at least the same distance, same distance away, right? 
So if and you have a, living rooms have not gotten bigger to accommodate. No, mine, yeah. mine certainly has not increased in size. Uh, yeah. So if we get a big, if I get a larger television and I'm sitting the same distance away, uh, and it, and the pixels aren't small enough, I will start to notice. I can like see where the little differences are. If, and that can be distracting. So, but I mean, it's, it's most important that, uh, I don't know. Tony Stark is life size on your screen. Yeah, no, I want I want every human <laughs> head on my TV screen to be larger than a real human head. I, I want to be able to pause it and stand next to the screen and tell who I'm shorter than. <laughs> oh, now see, this would be important for holodeck technology. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We got everything needs to be life size in the holodeck. Yeah. We've got a ways to go. Yeah, you wouldn't want to have like all of the holodeck figures to look like Mario from Super Mario Brothers. Right. It would just yeah. be really distracting. Or, or even everything just be like seven eighth size. It would be real weird. Yeah. Like that would be creepy. Everyone's but, slightly shorter than they need to be. Yeah. But that's how real movie stars actually are. If you see them, they're seven seven eighths of what you predicted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is that is very true. That's true. I was in one movie and uh and that was huge. <laughs> <laughs> it was enormous. And I actually, I, this is all true. I, I was in a film and I turned to my wife after they showed uh, my entrance and I said, I think I just scared myself. Uh, yeah, it was not yeah. A, it was not an accurate representation of who I am is what I'm getting at. Uh, so uh. there are other things that matter besides resolution. And we definitely need to, to mention them because a lot of just like with uh, cameras where people start to really pun intended, focus on how many megapixels there are in a digital camera. Are your puns ever not intended? Sometimes they slip out and I didn't realize I was making one. Just checking. This time I stopped and acknowledged it. Uh, but yeah, the megapixel count in a camera is important, but it's not the most or the only, the only factor. Right. Like, you know, you got to worry about lenses and all this other stuff and the quality of the sensor, everything like that. Same sort of thing is true with televisions. The uh, resolution is important. It is not the only factor you have to consider. Uh, so one thing is color reproduction. How well does the television accurately reproduce the colors that are being displayed? So if you've got a television with really good color rep reproduction, then you know that you're seeing about as close to what was captured in the original device, whether it was film or video or whatever, as you can possibly get. I sometimes get the sense if you ever go into a store and look at all the TVs they're trying to sell, that on those display models, they turn the color saturation way up to try yeah. to like, or, or I don't know, maybe it's the contrast. It's something they do something to try to boost Maximize. the intensity sure. of the image. Well, you know, you're in a, a brightly lit environment with fluorescent lights. Mm -hmm. So it's not an ideal viewing experience. It's not the way most of us would be watching at home. You know, at home, we often will have, you know, we might have fluorescent lights as you know, since we might be using those as light bulbs. But a lot of people like to watch in dim viewing conditions. And in order to get across the quality of a screen, they calibrate those to be as uh, impactful as possible within the store experience. The other question to ask is, are they calibrating them all fairly or are they boosting some of the more expensive units so ah, that you would mm. look at those and say well clearly this one's better than this cheap one down here <laughs> so i obviously need to get this one which they have done the television equivalent of applying an instagram filter to yeah it's it's actually you know there are entire blogs out there about various stores that mm -hmm. have uh have tweaked settings so that they give an unfair advantage to some of the higher end models than the lower ones, even if the actual differences are, you know, negligible mm -hmm. uh, to the average viewer. Now, that being said that, you know, there are TVs that are of higher quality than others and you oh. can actually see it. Yeah, I believe so, it. Yeah, I don't. So I don't mean to suggest that all televisions are the same and that you're being uh, cheated if you go to one of these stores. It's just one of those things that has been reported. Um, and, and obviously, unless you're there when they're calibrating the television, you can't really be sure. And yeah. you should keep in mind that the experience you get in the store is not necessarily what you're going to get at home until you calibrate your television for your home viewing environment. Uh, um, right. And, and that calibration, yeah. So, so it includes the color reproduction. Yep. And then also the contrast, which is another thing that Joe just mentioned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Contrast is the difference between the brightest white colors on your TV and the darkest black colors on your TV. Uh, and here's, <laughs> we're going to enter into another hazy element of the world of TV. And that's 
you probably have seen contrast ratios like 70,000 to 1, and you wonder what they mean. So does everybody else, because there's not a standardized language here when it comes to contrast. Contrast is a real thing. You know, there are differences between the brightest and the darkest colors, and you want that dis- that you want that difference to be as great as possible so that you can have as many different subtle uh, variations as possible for that television to display to give you the the greatest range of potential images. But there's no agreed upon standard way of saying this, so comparing one television versus another is really hard to do. Even within a single manufacturer's series of televisions, it's hard to do, mm-hmm. let alone different manufacturers. So just something to keep in mind. Contrast is important, and usually you can kind of tell that just from, you know, if you want to watch, you know, have something really dark put on to the TV, something that has a lot of scenes that are shot in dim or dark conditions, like any Batman movie and if you can't make out the the details, the contrast is probably not that good. But mm. if the contrast is really good, then you can start to see these details. All of those shades of black. Yeah. From deepest, darkest black to just, you know, my, my daily despair. Sort of murky. Yeah. Well, I have a question about aspect ratio. Okay. Are, are all the televisions that are being made today pretty much the same in terms of how they're physically framing the screen? Because those old blocky TVs, you know, your your CRT TV, your monitor had that that old four by three yeah. framing, and if you watch any movie made in widescreen, as most good movies are, they'd have this letterboxing format. It'd have right. black bars on the top and the bottom, and then you've got your uncle saying, "How do you get rid of them black bars on the screen?" Right. What? But it seems like most TVs I see these days are. In the widescreen format, are yeah. there any differences in how they frame the screen? Yes, actually. Uh, so there's the 16 by 9 is the standard. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 16 by 9 standard definition, because there are standard definition channels that will um, broadcast in 16 by 9. It's interesting because they they stitch together two 4 by 3s to wow. make that proper. Properly, there's actually a a split. Uh, not that it's perceptible, but that's the way behind the scenes that's working. Now, the sixteen by nine. The interesting thing there is it's still not quite the aspect ratio that we get with feature films. So when we watch a feature film on uh, on a widescreen television, either there still needs to be a little bit of letterboxing, maybe not so much that you would really notice. It might just be a tiny sliver at the top and bottom. Uh, or you're getting some of the image cut off. Um, I don't know if you guys ever had to watch a pan and scan Ooh, version of yeah. a film. Oh, those are the yeah, worst. Yeah, those are the worst. Those are literally the worst. Yeah, I remember the old version of Halloween that was turned into a pan and scan. The Mike I, Myers, John I, Carpenter oh. movie. Yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah. Well, I think it was Halloween. I'm pretty sure it was. It could have been another movie. But anyway, what I remember is there are musical stings timed to when you see the shadow of the killer pass right. into the frame of the camera but in the in the standard version that you could get on your VHS tape you didn't see the shadow right. so there'd just suddenly be a sting and For nothing no reason, happened right. wow yeah i i saw i remember the same thing with a lot of my favorite movies like uh uh there were a lot of of i'm a huge musical fan there were a lot of big musicals that were made uh, that used like super widescreen format, like the Panavision type stuff, which was particularly awful for pan and scan because you would have uh, they would frame it so that you would have two major characters on screen. But there'd be a third character in the scene who you'd hear but never see because they had to figure out where are they going to put the focus digitally mm-hmm. after the fact. Uh, well, the 16 by 9 means that we don't need to worry about that as much. It's still, like I said, not quite the ratio that we get with feature films these days, but it's way closer than 4 by 3. So uh, obviously that is really important. I don't know of anyone who's making a television set that's not 16 by 9. Um, <laughs> is there- that the next retro craze? It's like you got people into vinyl, you got people into 4 by 3 TVs. <laughs> well, there there are displays that aren't that do not conform to 16 by 9 but they're displays not TVs. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a difference there. A display is meant to show specific proprietary content made for that display as opposed to a general purpose device that's going to bring in all sorts of content from various places. 
so there are some other, like I, I alluded to some challenges when it comes to making content for these types of displays, these types of televisions. Uh, you know, we talked about how it is a boon for storytellers because now they they know that the work they put into telling this tale with visual uh, astounding imagery can actually be consumed yeah, properly. Yeah, that, that it will pay off, right? But it also means that any you know scuffs and scrapes and maybe subpar costuming choices can be seen much more easily, too. Uh, shiny foreheads, for example. This is something that actually we sitting around this table are, are relatively familiar with yeah. because uh, uh, they they shoot here in the office on 4K cameras. Now. Yeah. And so I've got powder in my backpack. <laughs> I've got makeup. I'm not ashamed to say it. You know, this was a thing that came up. It, not not with resolution, as far as I recall, but with frame rate about when the first Hobbit movie was released yeah. and it was showed at uh-huh. the advanced frame rate. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember how many now. 48. 48 frames, frames per, per second. second. Yeah. And so that was a different issue, but it was another way of seeing a more realistic version of what happened in front of the camera. And I remember lots of reviewers. I never saw it in 48 frames per <sighs> second, but I, I remember lots of reviewers complaining and what they were Rightfully saying was so. the movie, for some reason, this way of filming the movie and, and playing it back makes everything look fake. Yeah, the they, props look like props. The costumes look like costumes. Right. It looks like a community theater production. I, I, I've heard it called the Mexican soap opera effect. <laughs> That's really what I've heard it as. But when I saw it, the thing I thought was, it feels like I'm really there. Not in Middle Earth. But on a but movie on a set. set. Yeah. yeah. It makes me feel like I'm actually. And that's one of the things about these these ultra high definition televisions, too, is that it can feel like you're looking through a window. One of the scenes that I saw was just simply a tree out in a field. And it looks like you're looking through a window at an actual tree. It does not. I mean, it's it's very close to giving it depth. To the point where it's it's not 3D, but the clarity is so amazing that you're getting almost an illusion of depth just from the clarity, which is pretty phenomenal. Because, you know, 3D did not take off the way television manufacturers were really hoping it would. And, it, and you also bring up something else that I should have mentioned with the other elements that are important with your television, which is refresh rate. Yeah. So refresh rate, that's how qu- how often that screen is refreshed every second. And so you find a lot that are in 120 or 240 hertz these days. And uh, those TVs are supposed to reduce motion blur, but it also can kind of give this sort of surreal effect to certain types of content. It's great for things like sports. I mean, it looks yeah, amazing. Yeah. But it can, it can almost look like a like a video game to me personally. It yeah. can look like something digital when it was when it was practical, when it was right. a, three-dimensional people hanging out and yeah. something that was based on a computer. <laughs> yeah, it, it's confirmed a lot of my suspicions about certain Hollywood personalities <laughs> that I thought were digital. <laughs> uh, no, it's exactly right. And some people have just said, well, this is just the way things are going to change. And it's just like, you know... We'll just have to get used to it. Yeah, it's just one of those things where we're in a transi- transition right now. It's just as when film went from black and white to color or sound was first incorporated. These were... Moments of transition, and if you live through them, they seem very odd. But if you are from the generation where that has now become the standard, that's just that's the normal thing. And everything before it just looks weird. Mm -hmm. So we just happen to be living through that transition. You know, I wonder at what point resolution stops mattering. Like at what point is is the resolution of a TV screen so good that it really is no different than looking at the same thing without a camera and and a digital medium in between? And and yeah, so you know, kind of along the lines of what I was saying earlier, like like are we in the future going to have like thirty two K televisions? And right. Will it be an appreciable difference for our eyeballs? Yeah, because you've had people who have said that they looked at two K versus four K or four K versus eight K, and they say. I can't really detect a difference. Uh, this is dependent upon lots of factors, the ones that we've mentioned before. So there's not a simple answer, right? I can't tell you that at 16K, we will reach pixel saturation where it won't matter if we add any more because that's too simple an answer. It's actually a little more complicated than that. One thing we need to remember is that uh, the resolution also depends upon the pixel density. So the pixel mm. size and the pixel density. 
And that, again, depends upon not just the resolution, but the screen size. So pixel density of a 40-inch ultra-high-definition TV is greater than an 80-inch ultra-high-definition TV because the 80-inch is larger, so the pixels are spread out a little more. They're less dense. So we talk about density by uh, PPI, or pixels per inch. Uh, and if you are looking at various products on the on the market, you're going to see a lot of variation here. And again, it's all going to depend upon the size of the screen and its resolution. Uh, offset printing is 300 dots per inch. So dots would be the equivalent of pixels in this sense. The dots are the individual elements that make up a printed image. Mm -hmm. Pixels would be a displayed image on a television. Mm -hmm. uh, so if offset printing requires 300 dots per inch to be considered uh, uh, you know, that, that's the good. standard. Yeah, it's good. It's gonna be a good clarity. What would be a good one for displays? Well, the iPhone 6 Plus has a resolution of 401 pixels <laughs> per inch. That one makes all the difference. Yeah, well, it's just, it's just the way it works out by its resolution, but 401 <laughs> pixels per inch. And of course, you're holding that at between 10 and 20 inches away from your face, ideally. <laughs> you don't have it right up on your eyeballs, but you also don't have it across the room. So you can't just say, well, 401 pixels per inch, because that all depends upon, again, uh, how far away you are. So pixel density will depend upon the that resolution, the size of the screen. So a 65-inch ultra-high-definition television will have a PPI of about 67.78. And you're thinking, whoa, the iPhone 6 Plus is at 401, and a, a UHD television is at 67.78, but you are not standing, I hope, 10 to 20 inches away from that 65-inch television. Yeah, not recommended. You're, you're several feet further back, and so that density matters less because of the viewing distance. So you have to take into account the pixel density, the size of the screen, how far away you are. The size of the screen will de determine the pixel density, but that also determines how far away you're going to sit, right? You're going to sit further away, presumably, from an enormous screen than you would from a smaller screen. You know, I wonder if it's always going to remain a thing that we like to sit across the room from a screen we're watching, because th mm. that's sort of the standard with television, and I think it it comes from movie theaters and from times when a household might have one television. But more and more, I'm noticing in myself and and the way other people do things, we're watching things on devices that are right in front of our faces. Right. Uh, a greater percentage all the time of the stuff we watched is viewed individually. And, of course, I still watch stuff on a screen across the room on TV, like with my wife Rachel, when we're watching something together, and that's kind of social but I wonder if <laughs> we'd reach the point where, well, maybe we just sit next to each other and both watch it on a device at the same time. <laughs> hmm. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the future holds for that. But that sounds kind of silly to us now. But would it be silly in the same way that if you told somebody from the 1980s that everybody would have their own individual telephone that they would have for themselves and not share with the house? I think it also depends upon the content you're watching and the experience you want to have. For example, if I'm watching a big spectacle film, I generally want it on my bigger screen TV. I want to have that experience of seeing those big moments and being caught up in that. And, and, uh, it's a little harder for me to appreciate on a smaller screen. Now that also could be a generational thing, but, there are there's plenty of content I like to watch on a small screen, but it doesn't tend to be the spectacle type stuff or the stuff where there's a lot of uh, like complex cinematography. Uh, that being said, one of the things I read about was that if you hit about 500 pixels per inch on a distance of about 20 inches, that's pretty much the limit for the average person's ability to differentiate uh the, the quality of the image, like anything more than that would be a waste because you wouldn't be able to perceive it. Hmm. So the equivalent of 500 pixels per inch at whatever distance you are from the, the screen would be that would be the same limit. But that's the problem is that it depends upon how far away you are. Right. Hmm. So if you're six feet away as opposed to 20 inches, you don't need 500 pixels per inch. It may be significantly lower than that. And once you reach that level for whatever distance you're at, 
there's no need to go higher. Not that that won't stop <laughs> manufacturers. I imagine they will continue to do you. it. Of course, of course. But um, but at that point, you you will literally be unable to perceive the distance, the difference, not the distance, but the difference in the two. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe uh, other kinds of technologies will fall more into focus as the, as, as the, the pixel issue is kind of worked out, maybe uh, the, the, the color issue or, yeah, or contrast or, contrast will or become, frame rate, frame rate will become the new big thing. Yeah, sure. no, I'm sure those will all be elements of it. I mean, obviously the 3d w- didn't really take off and I can understand why. I mean, I don't want to have yet another thing to keep up with just to watch television, nor do I think all of TV benefits from that depth. I don't there's, really want to watch like Orange is the New Black in 3D. Yeah. I don't have any desire to do that. Yeah, there's... Uh, I guess they're idiots like me who don't want to watch anything at yeah, all Yeah, no, me, in me 3D. too, actually. That's... I, I'm okay if the, 3, <laughs> if the 3D was built in as part of the storytelling from the beginning and it, yeah. and it provides a useful element to the story, uh, then I'm fine. It's the same thing like... I could say I've enjoyed plays that have had minimal sets, but I've also enjoyed plays that have had incredibly complex sets. And to me... I understand what you're saying. Yeah. But meh. All right. (laughs) Maybe you just haven't experienced the right film yet. That's always possible. To to be fair, I do not go see films in 3D. Yeah. You just just haven't met the right 3D yet. (laughs) But... I, either way, I definitely wouldn't want to have to keep up with, I mean, it's hard enough for me to keep up with a single remote in my house. <laughs> and I only have one because I've got one smart remote that controls everything. And yet it's never where I thought it was. Uh, and uh, I'm sure there's a gremlin that just moves the remote when we're not home. Mm-hmm. But I would hate Don't to talk think about like. Becca that way. No, no, no. <laughs> Becca's never home when I'm not home. <laughs> like, it's me. I break into his house to mess with his head a never lot. Never should have given you that key. <laughs> uh, yeah. So this is, um, I don't think 3D will ever really hit like saturation in the, in the consumer market, but, but that's the sort of stuff we'll see once we hit this saturation of resolution where you really can't go any higher and have it make a meaningful difference. There's going to have to be something else. Hmm. You know, I wondered before we came in whether there would ever be a trend back to any kind of analog way of receiving uh, visual media. So so closer to a film experience and not a digital television experience. Right, because you can look at projected film that way. So it's, you know, you've you've captured the images on film through through shining the light on a photoreactive surface, and then you just shine light back through a copy of that, and it's all sort of an analog-to-analog experience, basically. Yeah, Um, right. I I kind of hope so, because I I really enjoy projection. In a a home sense, it's a lot more difficult to set up, because you have to create the screen and the the setup. Right, yeah. It's it's something that I... Feel like I like better, but I'm not sure if I would actually be able to tell the difference. I I, I can't be positive. It's not just some kind of like idea based preference. Well, uh, if we ever get to a world where film projection is just completely abandoned, that means we don't get any more Quentin Tarantino movies because he mm. refuses to shoot on digital. Yeah, and he doesn't like digital conversion. I, I do. I I blame Quentin Tarantino for for a lot of things that he says and does, but uh, but but I really agree with him on on that one. I, I still personally have a very nostalgic concept of of film versus digital. Yeah, I do love. I mean, I do love film. I really do. Uh, I I also appreciate digital projection as well, but I can see the benefits and the and the pros and cons of both. Uh, the thing, the other thing we talked about, Joe, was just the idea of. Could there be some other technology that eventually supplants the way we're using display technology right now? Something right. beyond the the pixel yeah. approach to displaying images, and we, I, we don't yeah. know of any. I haven't found any examples of anything like that, though. There there may be something out there I don't know about. Yeah. Uh, if you if you've ever heard of a future analog or even just you know any non-pixel based display technology that that could be coming in the future we'd love to hear about it yeah, yeah the uh the way i look at it is that i think pixel based technology is going to be around for the near future but who knows maybe in 20 years we'll be looking back and saying well this antiquated way that we were you know displaying technology right, right. now that we have this amazing 
color morphed screen technology, why would anyone have ever used pixels? Yeah, the screen <laughs> itself is able to create the images and there's nothing else that's, you know, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. we, don't, we don't know. There's no way of us to know. I mean, Joe, you made a very good point when we had this discussion earlier, uh, pointing out that if the technology we're using today continues to be reliable and cheap, then it's going to stick around for a really long time, even if we come up with alternatives. Oh, yeah. Like, it'll take a while for anyone to adopt a new standard, considering that this one is so well established. Yeah, I mean, if you can have screens that are that just look fantastic yeah. and they're pretty cheap and they're they're using technology we already have, it's going to be hard for something to upset that system, even if you can make the case that, no, it really does capture more of the nuance of light and... You know, it's it's more like actually looking through a window. Yeah. It only costs $5,000 more. <laughs> Maybe it'll just be a window and and actors will come in and act behind <laughs> the window and we call it TV. Uh, I mean, that would explain. I think, I think that once we get like cloning like and, and rapid yeah. aging under underway. I was just thinking that it totally would explain why Crispin Glover's hiding out in a closet in my house. That would. That would be a good reason. It would make it a lot easier for me to go to sleep at night if that's actually the real reason. Yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, the biggest and most high-resolution television that I saw while I was at CES was 85 inches at 8K. Oof. Wow. Yeah. What did that look like? Pretty. It's pretty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was enormous. I can't imagine. Like, my house... Wait, my... hold on. Sorry to interrupt you, but what did you watch on it? Was it one of those beauty eye, eye candy reels yes. or yeah. what I would want to see on it is an old VHS tape from TV of an episode of Knight Rider. Well, look at the tracking marks on this. That's amazing. The high resolution of, of how badly this thing was out of out of whack. If you can't make Knight Rider taped off TV look good, what can you do? I don't you know, they're not miracle workers. The future. Joe. The future again is, is Knight Rider. I'm just having the the voice of uh, Kit going through my head. Um, also, the he was John Adams in 1776. Sounded exactly the same. Yeah. Yeah. Also appeared as a car. Very weird. Anyway, <laughs> so, yeah, that wraps up this discussion vote, about... yes. Vote, yes. <laughs> Congress. Michael. Yeah, it was weird. Um, so, yeah, guys, that wraps up this kind of discussion about the future of resolution and televisions and what we are looking at in the near term. Uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this. Do you think that uh, 2K, 4K, 8K, do you think all of that has uh, actual payoff? Uh, do you think of it as being like, are, are you incapable of perceiving a, a change in the quality? I used to be that way, but now I really can. At least I can tell the difference between HD and 4K. I can certainly tell that difference um, with the larger screens between 4K and 8K. I can tell a difference. Uh, smaller screen 4K versus large screen 8K. Harder for me to tell the difference. But uh, my visual visual acuity may not be as good as yours. So curious to hear if you guys have had any experience with that and what you think about it. Or if you have any other questions or comments, you can write to us. Our email address is fwthinking at howstuffworks.com. And we've had a lot of people write in, and we're really thankful for that. And we want more, so please keep sending us messages. Remember, you can also get in touch with us at Twitter, Google+, and Facebook. On Twitter and Google+, we are FW Thinking. Search for FW Thinking on Facebook. We'll pop right up. Leave us a message. We would love to hear from you. And we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council.